Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's not long before Sukkot. You know, it's funny, I usually don't write things down, except, as I said, for Shabbos Agon and Shabbos Shuba, but last year I was recovering from hernia, so I went online, I mean, I looked at my files, and I see I wrote a whole thing up, because I was immobile pretty much last era of Sukkot. And this year I had, this morning, a bad knee, a very bad knee. Thank God it feels better now. And so what I did was I was out of activity this morning, so I wrote a few ideas out there. And I'm just going to read them to you, and you'll do with them as you please. So here we go. This is a few thoughts, uh, weirdo thoughts, on um, uh, for Sukkot this year, on the, on, on the theme of Sukkot. Uh, so I'm just going to read. I want to do a few ideas this year, particularly appearance of Sukkot, the town across the Jordan River, opposite central Israel, which is mentioned elsewhere in the Torah and the Tanakh. Is it right? In other words, I'm not talking about the town of Sukkot in Egypt, which is where the Jews immediately left at the time of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's one place called Sukkot. I'm talking about a different place, which you encounter several times in the Torah of Emenic Subib. So, so this is a, a town which is in across the Jordan River, Avery Yarden, which is uh, pretty much opposite the Shechem area, something like that, uh, central, northern central Israel. And uh, it appears very interestingly a number of times. Maybe you don't notice it. As far as I can think, this town of Sukkot, as far as I know, it appears three times, uh, the town of Sukkot. Uh, one is the encounter between Yaakov and Esau, which takes place in Sukkot, or right next to Sukkot. Uh, when, in other words, so when Yaakov, I wish I had a map in to show you, when Yaakov flees Lavan, he comes down to Transjordan. He doesn't come down into Israel proper, but he comes down to Yarden. And that is where Vayishlach Yaakov, Malachim Eliezer, been on that business. And that's where he has the encounter with Esau and the angel of Esau. And subsequent to that, he proceeds to Sukkot. Right? Uh, the wrestling match with the angel takes place not in Sukkot, but in a nearby town called Peniel. There's only Chumash. But the encounter with Esau himself is near Sukkot. As we know, Esau says, let's buddy up and so forth. And Yaakov detaches himself from the proximity blandishments of Esau. And then Esau proceeds to Seir. So Yaakov and Esau both meet each other on Avery Yarding. Maybe you don't know that, but that's what it is. Avery Yarding. And that's where Esau says, let's uh, hang out together. And Yaakov says, you go your way, I'll go my way. You know, you're too fast for me and all that all that stuff. And so uh, Esau goes to Seir, meaning Esau proceeds down the Avayarnin to the Dead Sea area and, and south of that. And that's where he takes over Seir and that's where he becomes Edom. Yaakov, by contrast, goes a different route. And we're told over there, Yaakov goes to Bayelbe Yaakov Sukkot, right? And what happens when he gets to the town of, so you remember this, right? Yaakov Nasa Sukkosa in the Paraglamic Gimel in, in Bracious. Yaakov goes to Sukkot. But even the bias, it's interesting, he builds a bias. Well, the McNeil also Sukkot, but for the cattle, for the animals, he made a Sukkot. 
That's the famous book. So that's referring to the town of Sukkot that I'm speaking of, um, which is just interesting. So here Yaakov builds a single large bias. He doesn't see Batim. Uh, he has one big bias, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, he had a lot of family. Why do they own one big place? Uh, and usually Yaakov was a nomad and, uh, you know, living in tents. But it's now that he's building a, a bias. And why does he build Sukkot for the cattle? And why would they name the town after the booths that he made for his mikna, for his, for his animals? It's a funny uh, story over there. And, uh, you know, Rashi, by the way, over there in the Chumash says that he made Sukkot for the people too, for his summer houses. Okay? So in other words, the way Rashi reads the Pasuk is he built a house for the winter, Ula McNeil, and for his cattle he made Sukkot, and for the people also he made Sukkot. That's a little bit weird, but... Uh, and if you go into Sifse Chacham, you can see hold back and forth between the Mizrahi and the Maral, you know, the Gorai and, and all that stuff. Uh, but by the time it's over, that's what happens. Uh, it's fa- and incidentally, um, it's fascinating that in this verse 2, Sukkot is mentioned three times, twice Chassan and once Mali. You know, what do I mean? Look at the Chayyot. Remember I talked about Chayyot last week or two weeks ago? Look at the Chayyot on Sukkot. I'm a fan of Chayyot. You know, look at it. He has written this intro. You'll see now Sukkot is coming. And he says, you got your Anani Akavad, you got your Chus Sukkot Mamash, as we all know. And he says, look at the Pasuk in Vayikra in Sukkot. What does it say? Basukkot. Uh, what's uh, how's it go? three times, and two times it's uh, one time is Molly. What does Chasar Molly mean? Not is there a ooh after the Samach, can't be if you know a little bit of gr- grammar, just a little bit, you know, can't be a ooh after the Samach because then it'll be a Tinu Gadola and then it'll be Sukhos. And if you want a Sukhos, has to be a, a tinu katana. So it's not, so you, many of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But, you know, the Hebrew language has ten vowels and five biggies and five smallies. And if there's a biggie, which is the u with the vav in it, like u, then afterwards can't be a, a doggish. So uh, every time it's a sukkah, it's always going to be with the three dots under what they call the kubus. But what about kos? You understand? Is it sukkos, samach, chaf, vav, saf, or just samach, chaf, saf? And the, and the O is just like a dot without the, uh, it's what we call chaser, without the vav on it. And you'll see, uh, two times it's that way, and one time it's moly. It's, 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 it's samach, kav, vav, saf. That's easy enough. That's not too hard to understand. And you'll see the chayyadam, obviously he's quoting from somebody else, says, the, the one which, well, it's, it's tantalizing. He says, obviously you see two types of sukkahs there, because anything in the chumash is not there for a coincidence. So one is the sukkahs mamish, and the other one is the ananiya kavad. Uh, we could play around with this, or you will tonight in your sukkah, if you're listening to this, to this podcast, you'll play around with this. Is the Anani covered the Chaser, or is the Anani covered the Mali? But I'll leave that for you now. If you go back in Vayishlach, in Brashis, B'yakob Nasa Sukosa, there it's a Chaser. V'yibun L'bais M'kneo Sukos, it's a Chaser. Al-Kain Karshem Wakam Sukos, it's a Mali. Same thing like in the Chumash. So there's this interesting parallel ideational connection between the Jacob Aesop story on the one hand, and his uh, uh, surviving that encounter, and then the Sukkot that you find in Vayikra. Uh, that's one story involving this town called Sukkot, strange name. Now, there's a second story, the Gidon story, the Gideon story, where there's a Shofate named Gidon, who came from a Namfram family, by the way, uh, BT, and 
he fights against Midian. In fact, God picks him. So there aren't too many Shoftim that are chosen by God directly, but he was. And again, he wasn't from. Uh, his family worshipped idols. He had to chop down the idol and all that sort of thing. Disassociate himself from that. And uh, he's told to fight against Mid lead the fight against Midian. I think you probably know this story, but you probably don't know all the details. And by the time it's over, with 300 men, he de it miraculously defeats Midian. Uh, smack in the middle of Israel, in the you know belly button of Israel, Hartover, I think, or, so or somewhere near that. And, um, and then the Midianites flee, and they chase him. And Gideon calls all the tribes in the area the Midianites are fleeing through, which is the mountainous territory of Israel, coming out and kill the retreating enemy. And they do. And the enemy generals kind of like get away and cross the Jordan and run away. But Gideon, who's a capable general, he realizes that the number one mistake in war is you win a victory and let the other side get away. Because then you have to fight all over again. So it's a brachal batala. The whole point in all the great generals in history, all the great generals realize, once the other guy's down, finish him off. You know, uh, destroy him, get him to surrender, finish them off. And then Gideon says, we're not letting this go until we go and kill the enemy generals and finish off the Midianites and won't come back again. Now, he and his men, 300 men, are therefore chasing. By the way, these guys had to be like an um, unbelievable shape. You know, like the, the best football team. Uh, they're running and fighting all day long. And then they take it from the central Israel all through those mountains and get to the Jordan River and they cross the Yardin, which was a big river at that time. Not like today, it was like the Mississippi. And the Midianites fled, so he chases right after him. And when he gets to the other side of the Jordan, his guys are starving. It's straight in the book of Shoftim. And he comes to the house of Sukkot. You hear what I said? Sukkot. He said, give me some food. They say, no, we're not going to help you. Dev, you wiped out the enemy king said that we should help you. He said, when I get back, I'll wipe you out. I'll, I'll uh, thresh you with briars. And uh, he comes to the next town, Penuel. Oh, there's our two towns from Yaakov and Esau's story. Sukkot and Peniel. And same thing. Then we won't give you anything. He said, when I get back, I'll wipe you guys out. And so in other words, I want you to understand what's going on over here. He's like the Israeli army. It's like they're terrorists. They're chasing the terrorists. So notice, I'm not doing the fighting. Uh, they're fighting for me. I'm just a civilian. They're fighting for me. The 300 soldiers of Gidon. The least I could do if it happened today that I was in Israel and some terrorism business and the Israeli police or army was chasing somebody and the soldiers are thirsty, first thing you do is get them, a, 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 if I had a bottle of water, uh, you know, doesn't everybody go to Israel and buy them a pizza at the, uh, you know, in Hebron, you know, all that, everybody wants to help. You know, you're not fighting, they're fighting for me. The least I can do is give them, a, but the town wouldn't give them any food. He got so angry, he said, when I get back, I'll finish off Midian, when I get back, I'll wipe this town, I'll wipe the, you, you guys out. And he did. I'm just collapsing the story, but he did, okay? Now, uh, that means that Gidon defeated the Midianites and then destroyed two Jewish towns. It's a cute story because he found a kid. He said, give me a list of names of all the Hushal people in town. The kid did it one, two, three. You know, when his kid's at risk, <laughs> he put down all the uh, all the rabbis and everything on there. But anyway, uh, Gideon wiped out the two towns. Um, how's he even allowed to do that? That is a famous question for the Mepharshim. But as the Chassam Sofer says in his Shalos and Shubas, Tachsisim Ochoma, you know, uh, when it gets to war conditions, all the laws change. Uh, it's a chassam at the very end of, uh, what is it, of uh, Orachayim. The very, very end. He wrote a letter with uh, like 50 questions that were sent to him on Tanakh issues by the Maritz Chayas. Very interesting. Uh, anyway, there we run into Sukkot again. 
And the third, which again is a strange story because the town got wiped out by Gideon. The third story is, is David Amal, King David's reference to the Aramean conquest and sack of Shechem and, and Sukkot during what I call the crisis of the word of great coalition. Uh, it's, I know you don't know too much about David Amal, but he didn't have such an easy time all the time. And at one point, there's a whole long story. You know, he sent ambassadors to the king of Ammon for a funeral and they dissed them, and by the time the whole thing unravels, a giant coalition of Middle Eastern countries ganged up on King David. And um, it was a major war. And they had some huge battles. And the Jews lost. Uh, now this is not in Shmuel Bays or in Debrium. It's funny. They don't tell you everything. So how do I know it? You can see and tell them. Look at Kapitel uh, Samach, Psalm number 60. It was about King David complaining, we're getting our heads handed us, we're getting defeated. We're getting killed over here, giving us unbelievable in the sign. And uh, therefore, what it means is that there's a combined invasion of Israel, a successful invasion, by uh, Aram, that was the huge army, but also Ammon, Moab, Edom, it seems, Moab, it seems, uh, maybe the Plishtim also. And uh, that means everybody in Israel, like the like the seventy three war, like sixty war, you know, all the Arabs get together to attack Israel in a coordinated way. It's a very complex story. I'm not doing justice to it, but it's it's a very confusing, complex story. And most people don't know about the telling parts. And uh, like I said before, he's complaining we're getting destroyed over here, and you know God is abandoning us, and please don't do that, and uh, help us, and hova lana Ezra's mitzvah to us you know. Very from, of course, but it was a major crisis in the reign of King David. Let's put it that way. And you wouldn't notice if you read Shmuel Al for Shmuel Beis, because there it seems like you won everything all the time. But it's not so pushed. And it seems if you go by to tell him that the enemy captured Jerusalem and committed massacres there. This is Ayantes, Psalm seventy nine. I'm going by heart over here. Uh, he says the whole area of Jerusalem is filled with, de- with dead Jewish corpses and things like that. So it was a big crisis in the reign of King David. And in the middle of this, he's complaining over here in Capitol Samach. Uh, and what does it say over there? It's, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, take a look at it. You'll be in Shul tonight. You have nothing better to do. You look at him and Samach. Uh, and he says, Hey, God, you promised me that this was not going to happen. Uh, I thought he says you're showing us terrible times. Here, here, Isa Amcha Koshev, Ishkison Marine Talri, giving us the wine of defeat. And then he says, "Wait a minute, Elohim Dibur Vakadsho and Pasiches, you promised me Eloza that I would rejoice. Achalka Shchem veEmek Sukkah Samadeid. See that? He says, I was to, I was told that I would divide Shchem and the Valley of Sukkot. Now see, they're eating near each other. If you know the topography of Israel." Sukkot is on the other side of the Jordan, but if you cross over, you get to the, the area, or what we call generally the Shechem area, the capital area of that is Shechem, which is where the Yaakov Asim story kind of, uh, you know, hung out, and Yaakov moved to Shechem and the rape of Dina and everything, it all takes place in that area. So David is saying, you promised me, Achal Shechem, I would divide Shechem, and I would measure out the value of Sukkot. So what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? And by the way, there's a wonderful Rashi here in Tehillim, where Rashi says, I have no idea where this place is. Sukazu, any Odea Meza Umihi. I don't know what this is. 
This is Rashi talking. He says, I wish I knew where the sukkahs in Egypt was that they talk about in Parshat I have no idea where that is either. So Rashi didn't know everything. He said, when it comes to these, uh, Egyptian geography, how should I know that? Okay, so I certainly don't know where, the, where this sukkah exactly is. But it's the sukkahs that we're familiar with. So there's a host of different mafarshim. The best one, in my personal opinion, all you're going to get is uh, the Malbim on this, who has a very thought-out uh, kind of commentary. And the Malbim basically says like this, um, The King David something something quite remarkable. And what he's saying is the following. Uh, David Melch is saying the capture and despoilation, the sack, the pillaging of these central cities of Sukkot and Shechem, that area, heart of Israel by the Arab armies, will will stir Ephraim, Menashe, and the Transjordanian tribes, no, it's Reuben, Gad, Chatz, Menashe, to rally to my army. And so augmented, David plans to take the offensive, drive the invaders from Israeli soil, and conquer and destroy Moab, Edom, and Deplishtim. That's why in the next passage he says, I'm happy that they destroyed uh, um, Gilad and, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, Shechem and, and uh, Sukkot. And this will lead me, Lee Gilad, Veli Menashe, Ephraim, Moz, Rushi, Yudim, This will rally the tribes of Gilad, which is David Yardin, Menashe, Ephraim, and Yehuda. So it seems like the country was invaded. There must have been civil strife. The Jews didn't rally to the king's army. That's why he got his head handed to him. Uh, he actually fought the army initially under Yoav, his general, with his army of 20,000, which is tiny. Uh, but when the enemy invaded, that shook up all the Shvatim. This is the Malbim talking. And now, Eloza, I'm happy because now they realize the crisis and they'll come and I'll have a big army. I'll be able to take these guys down. I'll take them out. And that is what happened because, as you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, uh, David, after hitting rock bottom rallies, and then he goes on the offensive. According to the Malbim here, he got reinforcements. They was able to go on the offensive. And my goodness, he went on a, what you call a Middle Eastern offensive on him because he wiped him out. Uh, he says, I will measure, and I think it's Rashi or somebody says, when when King David says measure, he means like it says in, the, in Shmuel Bays, he measured out Moab, meaning he took over the country. He took them all and, and, and took all the POWs in three lines, and he chopped up the head of two lines. That's how he measured them out. You understand? So in other words, he massacred them. And when he went to Edom, there's a Pusigan being early in Melachamalf, uh, where he says he went down there, him and Yob, they spent six months, and they did it right, baby. They killed every Zohar in Edom. And same thing in Plishtim, and later he, he conquered the um, Aram. So by the time it's over, we won. But it was bloody. First of all, it was bloody in, in what we did to them, but we lost a lot of men also. And central to this psalm, central to this couple is Sukkot and the Amic Sukkot. So this is the three times, and that's the Sukkot, which is the town on the Transjordan. So all I can say is, on all three, this is just what occurs to me now. On all three occasions, Sukkot, this town, is associated with conflict and its aftermath. In the case of ya- Yaakov and Esau, let's say Esau bit him, you know, Labesha Keu. So it's made 
there's two ways of reading the Ace of Yaakov story. One is a violent way, in which Ace tried to take him down, but it didn't work. So then, having no choice, he made peace with him. <laughs> right? So, uh, what happened? Uh, there was a conflict between Yaakov and Esau. Think, listen closely. Yaakov splits his camp at Peniel, because remember he did that, but he reunites his camp at Sukkoth. Read, read over there in Vayishlach, you'll see. That at the beginning he said, You know that story. So he splits his camp. He introduces Pirud into Klal Yisrael, but then he reunites them at Sukkot, and that is symbolized, I would say, by the fact he put them all in one bias instead of Batim. Right? He didn't put them in different places. They're reunited at the town of Sukkot. The cattle goes into different uh, departments, you know, different booths. But the people go into one single bias, which means he brought in Achtas. In the case of Gideon, it's very, very interesting. His harsh but strategic response, meaning wiping out those two towns that wouldn't help him during the war, as opposed to his tactful response to Ephraim. There is a famous story where the tribe of Ephraim, which were Johnny come lately, came and they started complaining to Gideon, you know, you didn't treat us right, you didn't call us for the battle, and they were lying there through their teeth. But Gideon, I've told you this before, Gideon chose to be very tactful and very, uh, what's the right word, diplomatic. He said, I'm so sorry, you're right. The worst grapes of Ephraim are better than the best grapes of Menasha. You guys are fantastic. I'm a jerk. You know the old line, I'm sure I sent you a bar mitzvah invitation. I can't imagine what happened. I feel so bad. And since he abased himself before them, so they didn't fight him. Which means that he had it within him to be Midas Arachman, if that's what you want to do. But, on the other hand, he also had it in him to be Minas Adin. These two towns wouldn't help him when he was fighting the Arabs. He wiped them out. What, what's the reason for doing that? As an abject lesson, that when we're fighting the Arabs, there's no such thing as people saying we're not participating. That's Al-Tifr Shemana in a big way. Uh, and those, that's, that's a, uh, what's it called, national danger, you understand? That, that exposed the whole Yisrael to enemy invasion. By show, now listen closely. By showing in this town that he knew how to be harsh when occasion required, and he knew how to be tactful when occasion required. This won him the admiration of the Jewish people and an offer of the kingship. Because you look in the story again, right after that, the Claudius went to him and said, we want you to be king, you and your sons afterwards. He just turned them down. What is it that led him to do this? Because he showed he knew how to hold him, he knew how to fold him. So his harsh response in Sukkot was an appropriate one which promoted the actors of Kal Yisrael, Ad Kedekach, that they were all, all the tribes willing to unite under one king, namely him, and he would have been the dynasty had he not declined it. And in the case of King David, I just told you before, the sack, meaning the pillaging of Sikas and Peniel, led to the uniting of Jewish forces under the king and the ultimate victory. In other words, in each case, the town of Sukkot was associated with, with like an actus, with a Kal Yisrael kind of art, which is why they say in the Gemara, the famous line, the sukkah is defined, that all Kalei can sit in one sukkah. That's like an expression, uh, because that's not physically possible, but it's an expression that the sukkah is supposed to represent the whole Jewish people as a klal, which gives it a mystical power of its own. Anyway, that's, I, that's all I had time to think of for now. You take it from there. You can build on this on your own. Tain l'chacham yachamod. Have a good sukkah. Bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www. 
support.rabbidavidkatz.com.